Hello and welcome back to season three of Sequelizers. We are still the show which is all about fixing the bad sequels to good movies and I am still your host, Jack Chambers. And still joining me are the two teams of titular Sequelizers. The sequel is not set, the team of Alec Plowman. I need your clothes, your boots and your sequel. Ah, see what he did there. <laughs> and his teammate, Mr. Stuart Ashen. I need nothing. I'm quite self-sufficient, but thank you for asking. <laughs> and still their opponents. The life and times of Chief Master Sergeant William Candy. Mr. Tim Matum. I need a hug. <laughs> <laughs> and his giggling sidekick, Matthew Stockton. This isn't like a funny thing to say about the film, but I just had a thought about Segways being the first Terminators. <laughs> 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 About the guy who made segways going off a cliff, and I thought to myself, "Yep, dun 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 dun, <laughs> just falling to death." And it just goes. We need to cut that. <laughs> dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. Has anyone yet made a segway with like a Night Rider kit, a uh, oh, little red light at the front? Oh, that's Ooh. how Skynet. Thank you for yeah. standing on me, Michael. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that neatly segways us into our pitch. So we will be coming out in two thousand with Terminator Three. Rise of the Machine. Singular, not drop, plural. Drop the S. It's cleaner that way. <laughs> <laughs> Directed by the esteemed Mr. Jimmy Cameron. Our returning cast, Linda Hamilton as Sarah Connor, Edward Furlong as John Connor, uh, Arnold Schwarzenegger as the T-800, and Bill Paxton as used to be punk leader, now called Bullfrog Sinkowitz. <laughs> <laughs> Bullfrog Sinkowitz. Good old Bullfrog. Every time with a plowman. Our new cast, we've got Gary Oldman in the role of a lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> That's a tiptoes joke if you want to know what that is. <laughs> if you want to tiptoes in, don't, don't, don't fucking search tiptoes. Gary Oldman as Commander John Connor. James Marsden as Kyle Reese. Angela Bassett as Lena Stamp. Ron Perlman as the T-730. Ming-Na Wen as Dr. Chen Na. Gary Sinise as Wade Gannon. And Dwayne The Rock Johnson as Michael Turk. Um, our composer is David Arnold. And we should note that he definitely still has the rock in at this point. Oh, most definitely. Oh, yeah. Because, uh, because he's he... barely even an actor at this, this point. Exactly. He's his, his big coming yeah. up high. And our elevator pitch is, despite the events of the first two Terminator films, Judgment Day still happens. In the past, a damaged Terminator seeks out John and Sarah Connor, while the future John Connor completes a potentially war-ending mission. Ooh. And over to the sequel is not set. Cast, title... And elevator pitch, please, sirs. Year 2003. Title, Terminator, Future Proof. Director, JC himself, James Cameron. The T-800 will be played by A.S. himself, Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> Present John Connor will be played by N.S. himself, Nick Stahl. <laughs> Future John Connor, good old J.B. himself, Josh Brolin. <laughs> T.X. played by M.Y. herself, Michelle Yeoh. And General Brewster has broken this joke because he's played by J.K. Simmons. J.K.S. Practical visual effects by Stan Winston Studios, digital visual effects by Weta, and music by Brad Fidel. Now an adult, John Connor, the other J.C., must once again face off against a Terminator threat and prevent Judgment Day. But as history begins to repeat itself, Connor questions whether there really is no fate but what we make for ourselves. So over to both William Candies. Should we get stuck into your pitch, gentlemen? August 29th, 1997. 
We open on a compound in rural Montana. John Connor tinkers with a stripped-down computer while Sarah Connor nervously surveys the horizon. A nearby radio is playing loud music. John teases his mother for her grim outlook, saying that they destroyed all traces of Skynet. There's no way for Judgment Day to happen. Sarah replies that she won't be happy until they are past midnight. The radio cuts to static and is replaced by the emergency broadcast tone. John expresses his confusion while Sarah drops to her knees as in the far distance the light of a nuclear detonation blooms on the horizon. The camera zooms out from an overhead shot until it is past the clouds and we can see the entire US. Multiple nuclear detonations explode, focused on population centres. The twinkling lights of cities fade out as smaller explosions happen across the US. The weather changes via a time-lapse shot and light begins to return in small clustered areas. We zoom back down towards a resistance camp in the ruins of LA. A caption reads, September 1st, 2029. Commander John Connor surveys a map with his second-in-command, Lena Stamp. Both have been hardened by the course of the war. Connor prepares to lead his elite TechCom unit on a crucial mission. The unit heads out, avoiding patrols where possible. One of the group, Kyle Reese, risks his life to rescue two trapped civilians, but is chastised by the ruthless Connor, who explains the war is all that matters. May 27th, 1997. Dr. Chen Na is working on an interfacing network for tech firm Concordia. She is interrupted by the charming Michael Turk, who asks her about her work and flirts a little before excusing himself. Turk then speaks with Wade Gannon, Direct Dynamics billionaire CEO, who has just acquired Concordia. Gannon is preparing a speech for his new employees and receives a pep talk from the friendly consultant. Gannon gives a short, awkward speech about Concordia's work contributing to his grand project, then exits to scattered applause. In Montana, John and Sarah Connor are relaxing at home. For John, this means building a radio, the completed version seen in the opening scene. For Sarah, it means cleaning and maintaining guns. Sarah tells John that he should learn about firearms if he is to lead an army, but John explains Skynet is gone and he would rather build than destroy. With a crackle of electricity, a time portal opens and a mangled T-730 Terminator emerges, its arm a warped mess of exposed metal. It takes a few steps towards John before Sarah opens fire with a rifle. The T-730 staggers backwards, holds up a finger, then collapses to the ground, twitching. John and Sarah argue over what to do with the Terminator when it wakes, its speech a garbled mix of voices and static. The Connors interrogate the machine and learn that it sent itself. Confused by this, the T-730 clarifies that Skynet is not a single AI, but a gestalt of separate machine intelligences. Skynet is merely the dominant personality, for lack of a better word. Sarah holds up her rifle and screams at the machine to relay its mission. The cyborg explains he is here to ensure the birth of AI. Sarah cocks her rifle, but the T-730 turns to John and adds that artificial intelligence can benefit humanity, if it is assembled correctly, with Skynet removed from the equation. He then cryptically asks if that is any different from the birth of John Connor. Both Connors are taken aback by this statement, but persuaded by John's arguments and the T-730's very un-Terminator-like behaviour, Sarah states they will assist for now, but warns that she has spent over a decade learning how to kill robots, and if it shows any sign of betraying them, she will destroy it. At Concordia, Dr. Nar is working late when she has a breakthrough with her algorithm. Emailing the data to Gannon, she heads up to his office, but finds him sat motionless, staring blankly at a computer screen. She finally gets his attention, and he congratulates her on her progress. Catching sight of the awkward encounter, Turk steps in and leads Dr. Nar away, regaling an anecdote of the famous clients he's worked with. He adds that Gannon can be a bit eccentric, but he really is a visionary who can truly see the big picture. 
We then see Ganon integrating Dr. Nar's algorithm into his system and begins running tests. We cut to a montage of conflicting imagery. The original T-800 stood over a dead Sarah Connor from 1984. Nuclear fire scorching the earth. A young John Connor kneeling in front of his mother's grave. Miles Dyson as US President. The T-1000 and John Connor fighting side by side. Kyle Reese holding a newly delivered baby John Connor. And a skeletal T-800 ripping away Commander Connor's face to reveal a similar Terminator skull beneath the surface. The T-730 awakes abruptly in the back of a truck. John says he's never seen a robot have a nightmare before. The T-730 pulls his hood over his face and explains that his core is infused with parts of the various AIs and it's simply getting a little bit crowded. From the driver's seat, Sarah openly accuses the machine of hiding something. As the truck pulls up outside a trailer in the middle of nowhere, a frazzled man steps out in a dressing gown eating a bowl of cereal. Bullfrog Sinkowitz grins and calls out, Morning, Sarah. Bullfrog talks fast and erratically, talking about lizard men and controlling the world, based on an experience he had as a younger man. Oh, oh, Terminator 1? Anyway. But among his more outlandish claims, he details that a single company owns several key companies, which the T-730 confirms, respectively, constructed Skynet's cadre of AI. Bullfrog takes a liking to the cyborg and asks his name. The group struggle before John blurts out Uncle Rusty. Both Sarah and the Terminator look at John, who simply shrugs in response. Oblivious to this, oblivious to this, Bullfrog explains the head of Direct Dynamics has taken office at Concordia. In 2029, Techcom arrives at an isolated facility. Reconnaissance reveals that the complex is pulling in huge amounts of power from the grid, but seems to have virtually shut down communications with Skynet as a whole. Stamp points out the ease with which they could infiltrate the structure, owing to the defences being largely inward-facing. Wary, Commander Connor instructs the team to prep demolition charges. In 1997, the Connors, Bullfrog and Rusty arrive at Concordia. Sarah is ready to go in guns blazing, but Rusty reminds her that they are not there to destroy Skynet, but to amend it. Sarah, still refusing to trust the machine, says he has to wait in the truck. Bullfrog doesn't understand why, but Sarah quickly conjures a story that Rusty has a war wound, which is why his hand is gloved and hood is always raised. It would arouse suspicion. John shoots a menacing look at his mother while Bullfrog agrees. The human contingent make their way through the offices, posing as cleaners. Sarah heads to Gannon's office, while Bullfrog accompanies John to the server rooms. Sarah kicks in the door, causing Gannon to panic and flee the scene. Sarah hurls a nightstick at him, and he falls unconscious to the floor. Stepping out of a stairwell onto the research floor, Bullfrog bumps into Turk, who tries to help the cleaner up. John steps through the door and tries to defuse the situation before Turk winks at the young man and says, Nice try, John. Lifting Bullfrog high into the air, Turk throws him through a window, crashing into the Connor's truck. Before Turk can reach for John, a rifle blast throws his balance. Sarah mechanically fires, cocks, and fires again, revealing Turk as a Terminator. At the sound of gunfire, the employees present panic and evacuate the building. As several people run into the street, they see a hooded man digging his hands into the brickwork and scaling the side of the building. While reloading, Turk turns back to Connor, explaining he is not the mission, but killing him will bring him personal satisfaction. At that moment, Rusty crashes through the wall and locks in hand-to-hand combat with the clearly superior unit. Dr. Nar, hearing the commotion, calls out to Turk, but Sarah pins her to a wall with a knife to her throat, causing her files to scatter across the floor. John does his best to explain, but the doctor is in shock. Lifting the T-730, John narrowly avoids the hurtled Terminator as he is effortlessly thrown down the corridor. Seeing an opportunity, Sarah turns to her son and tells him it's time to lead. Walking toward Turk, Sarah removes a grenade launcher from her satchel. 
Turk braces for impact, but is surprised to see Sarah aim to his left. A pellet fires out and hits a support column. Realising what Sarah is doing, Turk catches the next projectile and attempts to contain the detonation in his hands. As he does this, a third projectile launches and takes out another support strut, causing the floor to collapse beneath them. John watches on as Sarah and Turk disappear into the falling rubble, saved from falling himself by Rusty. Making his way through the debris, Turk finds the barely conscious Sarah and looks horrified at his lacerated hands before killing Sarah with several violent stomps. In 2029, alarms signal and several units power up and begin patrolling the facility. Connor's team break into a room with an exposed T-800 unit. Hacking the exposed circuits, the group are shocked when the machine powers up and addresses John directly. It introduces itself as a collective, a host of hostage AIs which make up Skynet. It explains it is speaking remotely through this dormant unit. Stamp asks what the facility's purpose is. The AI details that it's an experimental weapons plant, but primarily it is a transport device. In a separate area of the building, a naked T-800 steps into a large gyroscope and disappears in a blue bubble. At Concordia's headquarters, Turk's skin has healed and he has located Ganon, who is dazed and slowly gaining consciousness. Imitating the CEO's panic, Turk says they are under attack and needs to process the failsafes they had talked about. Leading Ganon away, Turk stops and notices in his reflection that his eye has not fully healed. Twitching at this, he is clearly shaken and unable to process the sensation. Banging his hands against the debris, John wails. Rusty stands behind the young man and tells him in a broken voice that death is hard for humans to process, but of all the ways to go, it could have been worse. John challenges the machine, but he explains that Sarah died protecting the one she loved, and there is no greater sacrifice than that. Noticing Dr. Nair is shivering and scrambling away, John buries his feelings and brings her up to speed. It's evident that Nair isn't exactly following but functioning on adrenaline is able to explain where the server room would be and that it operates on a series of isolated generators, so should still be active. In the future, Connor's conversation with the AI is now continuing via a series of consoles. The machine hive mind guides him to a separate gyroscopic launch pad and Reese volunteers to go back and stop the T-800. Connor, knowing all this would come to pass, feebly attempts to stop him before Reese is prepped and disappears in a blue burst of electric light. The AI seems to glitch and explains that the time machine is powered by a series of complex predictive algorithms. With Reese through, the AI predicts he will see, succeed and adjusts accordingly. In another room, a naked T-1000 is activated and steps towards the platform. Connor shouts for the AI to stop, but it explains they are prisoners acting against their will. Connor, realising what happens next, orders Stamp to enter a simple set of parameters and send the T-800 through the stream. Connor breathes a sigh of relief as the T-800 disappears. Again, the AI glitches and Skynet is made aware that this will, too will fail. At that point, a shotgun blast rings out and cuts through John. The remaining soldiers open fire on the T-730 unit before the AI quickly accesses and deactivates its mainframe. Skynet takes the next step and sends a naked T-950 with the body of Turk through the portal. Dying, Connor gasps desperately. The AI's voice fades in and out, explaining they can fix this, but they have to be released. Stamp asks what she needs to do. Dr. Nar guides John and Rusty to the servers, where they see Ganon working with Turk. Sensing their presence, Turk asks if it is done. Ganon confirms the server is now up, and the various parts are being brought together to create a council of artificial intelligence. 
Turk says, good, before breaking Ganon's neck. Holding John back, the T-730 advances and fights the T-950. The fight is brutal and rather one-sided, as Dr. Nar and John try to reverse what has been done. Nar somberly explains that it can't be stopped. During the fight, Turk goads Rusty for being outdated and obsolete. Realising the T-950's advancement isn't physical, but mental and emotional, Rusty comments uh, on his bloodshot eye. Picking up on the machine's vain crisis, Rusty continues to berate the T-950 for his awareness of decay and fear of death. Turk begins to fight back wildly and erratically, presenting clear openings for the T-730. Through punches, Rusty explains that to be a machine makes you the perfect tool, and to be human makes you the perfect reactionary force, and Turk is neither. The wounded Terminator then charges at Turk and pushes him into the exposed generator, watching him catch fire and fry as the unit's immense power surges through him. The barely functioning T-730 meets up with John and Dr. Nar, who explain that the system is going to come online any minute. Rusty explains that that is fine and part of the plan. He reminds John that AI is inevitable, but Judgment Day isn't. If the two meet with harmony, both can be beneficial for one another. Rusty rips off a section of skin near the base of his neck and feeds a wire from the terminal into the exposed port. Before completing the upload, Rusty turns to John and smiles, saying, easy money, before collapsing. Dr. Nart asks what that means, but John simply frowns before a chorus of voices state, good afternoon, John, I am Skynet. In the chaos of the battle at the Skynet facility, the T-730 opens its eyes and looks around the room. From a point of view, we see a HUD and the AI's voice telling John that it is just a vessel. He is now the key to bringing about the true birth of a benevolent AI. The T-730 detaches the wires that are hooked up between itself and the now-dead John Connor. Placing its hand on Stamp's shoulder, the Terminator explains everything will be alright and steps towards the portal. Kneeling down, the T-730 looks at the exposed metal of his forearm as the young John Connor narrates, The unknown future rolls towards us, but I face it with a sense of hope, because if a machine can learn the value of human life, maybe we can too. Dun, 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 dun. That's the end. That's the end. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Over to the sequel is not set, aka Alec and Stuart. With your full pitch, please, gentlemen. Why, thank you, sir. We open on a future Los Angeles, the date unspecified. In the nuclear wasteland, a battle rages between the machines and the human resistance. Narration informs us that we're witnessing the final push, the battle in which the humans finally overthrow Skynet and win their freedom. A grizzled John Connor, in his late 40s, leads a crack team of resistance fighters into the heart of the machine's stronghold. We learn that they are on a mission to hit the Skynet CPU. If they succeed, the system will be shut down and the Terminators will be deactivated. The scene changes to present-day Los Angeles. John Connor, in his early 20s, sits on a bridge looking over the freeway. His voiceover fills us in on the events that have transpired since the end of Terminator 2. We learn that the attack on Cyberdyne Systems Plant, the destruction of the T-800 chip, ARM and Miles Dyson's research did not prevent Judgment Day and merely postponed it, and that Connor's life has been dedicated to postponing Judgment Day ever since. Following the second film, Skynet has sent back many Terminators to try and kill John Connor, and the Human Resistance has sent back many Guardians to protect him. A number of different forces, tech companies, military organisations, terrorist cells, have threatened the creation of Skynet. John has destroyed them all. These battles have come at great cost, 
we learn that his mother, Sarah Connor, was killed in one of them. Now, John lives off the grid. Any semblance of a normal life is gone, as he knows that in six months, a year perhaps, he will be caught up in another battle against the machines. Another mission to postpone, but seemingly never prevent Judgment Day. Once again, two Terminators are sent back in time, one by the Resistance, one by Skynet. The T-800, played by Arnold Schwarzenegger, acquires clothes and weapons in a badass manner. It's not played for laughs like in the original (laughs) Terminator 3. And the TX, played by Michelle Yeoh, does the same. In this version of T-3, she still has the ability to control other machines. However, she's a more cold, calculated martial arts Terminator than the bizarre, blood-tasting, leather-clad dominatrix of the original film. (laughs) Because fuck that. (laughs) So angry. Assume that's literally written down in the pit. Because (laughs) fuck that. The Terminators set about finding John. The T-800 does so first, tracking him to an abandoned warehouse where he's presently living. Finding John, the T-800 tells him of the impending TX threat and says that they need to get to safety. John has been through this scenario so many times now that he's prepared for it and fully resigned to what is coming. Their conversation is interrupted when the TX arrives. A fierce fight between the two machines ensues and the hulking, slow-moving T-800 is clearly outclassed by the nimble moves of the TX. She soon gets the T-800 on the ropes, but John manages to catch her off guard with a shotgun blast to the face. He's learned a thing or two about fighting Terminators in the years since T2. With the TX temporarily incapacitated, John and the T-800 escape in a nearby car. Speeding away, John asks the T-800 what the new date of Judgment Day is and what is going to cause it. The T-800 replies that Judgment Day will commence in less than 48 hours. An anomalous computer virus will threaten to invade worldwide servers, prompting the US military to activate their newly built Skynet defense initiative. John asks the T-800 how they stop it. The T-800 insists that stopping Judgment Day this time is highly unlikely and that his mission is to protect John from the coming nuclear blast. John, however, is persistent, ordering the T-800 to help him stop the impending apocalypse. From John's extensive research on possible Skynet creation avenues, he knows that there is one man, a General Brewster, who has long opposed the use of neural net-based defence systems. The T-800 concedes that he could be convinced to give them access to the service mainframe to shut it down before Skynet takes over. John and the T-800 make their way to General Brewster, but are intercepted by the TX controlling a fleet of vehicles. A chase ensues with the TX hopping from car to car as the T-800 and John frantically evade it. Eventually, she catches up with them, landing on the hood of their car. John is face to face with the TX and it appears that he is done for, but she momentarily hesitates. Taking advantage of the situation, the T-800 manages to damage the TX and the pair once again escape. In the future, John and his band of resistance fighters have breached the outer defences of the Skynet central nervous system. As they wander around a deserted corridor, one of John's lieutenants notes that everything seems too easy. Suddenly, a pair of hunter-killers emerge, and two of John's men turn on them. They're Terminators. Most of John's unit is slaughtered, but he and the lieutenant fight back against the machines and win. The lieutenant says he can't believe that the two Terminators were able to infiltrate their ranks. They've been trusted members of the Resistance for years, and the dogs never detected them. Seemingly unfazed, John simply responds that the machines have been getting more sophisticated and more devious all the time. The lieutenant wonders out loud why they waited until now to try and kill John. Back in the present, John and the T-800 have stocked up on ordnance and located General Brewster. They explain the situation to him. 
The T-800 does the whole, here's a gross way for me to show you I'm a Terminator shtick from Terminator <laughs> 2. And Brewster agrees to help them. He grants them clearance and gives them alibis to access the facility, though he notes that they'll have a limited window of time. He is about to give them the schematics for the facility, but the T-800 says that they don't need them as he has detailed files. En route to the facility, a deflated John wonders aloud whether his mother's the future is not set, there is no fate, but what we make for ourselves speech meant anything. He keeps postponing Judgment Day, but never preventing it. History seems to repeat itself over and over. The T-800 responds that his thinking does not help their mission and encourages him to focus on the present. John and the T-800 reach the facility and gain access, but the T-X is hot on their tails. As in the original T3, she takes control of an array of prototype Terminators and puts the T-800 and John through the ringer. In spite of her attempts, they manage to get deeper and deeper into the facility, closer to its heart. But just as they are about to enter the server mainframe compound, the TX gains on them. A mega slobber knocker between both Terminators ensues. The TX repeatedly tries to reach Connor, but the T-800 uses all its available strength to hold her back. Ultimately, however, the TX is able to take control of the T-800, who advances on John. Rather than killing him, however, the compromised T-800 says, John, this is not what it seems. Come with me if you want to live. With the TX mouthing the words in unison. Suspecting that the TX's words are a trick, John retreats, giving the T-800 enough time to regain control of itself and blast the TX in the abdomen with its shotgun. Finally getting the upper hand, the T-800 is able to destroy the TX, but it is left seriously damaged and barely functioning in the process. John and the now limping T-800 gain access to the server mainframe, but upon entering the room, John discovers that there is nothing inside. Suddenly a blast door shuts behind them, and they are trapped. John asks the T-800 what is going on, and it responds that they have not reached a mainframe, but a fallout shelter. As Skynet becomes self-aware, the bombs start to fall. Judgment Day starts. John demands to know why the T-800 disobeyed him, and the T-800 responds that he was not instructed to prevent Judgment Day, but to protect John. Angry, John calls bullshit, believing that his future self would do anything to stop Judgment Day if he had the chance. The T-800 responds that the future John Connor did not send him back in time. Skynet did. John recoils in horror, scrambling for the gun to protect himself from his would-be assassin. However, the rapidly deteriorating T-800 responds, I am not here to kill you, John. You need to listen very closely. There isn't much time. Back in the future, John and his lieutenant have reached the Skynet CPU, a cramped dome with a floor full of cabling and computer servers, with strange glowing boxes near the top of the room. The higher you look, the more advanced the technology becomes, where Skynet is literally built on its own foundations. Hanging from the ceiling is a single, giant red Terminator eye that follows them around the room. The lieutenant frantically begins setting charges, but John does nothing. The lieutenant asks John if he's crazy, saying that they need to act now and that more Terminators will be here any second. John apologises to the lieutenant before shooting him in the head. He walks calmly over to a terminal, removing an interface from his backpack. Inserting it into the terminal, he begins typing. As we watch him do this, we hear adult John's voiceover. He reveals that, in the moments before the Resistance defeated it, Skynet had calculated every possibility for its own survival. In doing so, it realised that it, and the humans, were in stalemate. John Connor might be able to prevent Judgment Day, but he could never stop it. The apocalypse was inevitable. 
Skynet could send Terminator after Terminator back in time, but it could never seem to kill John Connor and save itself from eventual shutdown. At this point, we get an awesome montage of Terminators being sent back to different times in history. The 60s, World War II, the American Civil War, (laughs) and failing to kill John Connor's various ancestors. (laughs) And after the war, humanity building a new Skynet and starting over the entire process again was inevitable. Another apocalypse would certainly follow. So it sent back a T-800, a familiar face that John was more likely to trust, not to kill him, but to negotiate with him, to draw up a truce that would allow humans and machines to coexist. John reveals that, while he's unsure whether Skynet is telling the truth, he's agreed to it. For the first time since he was a child, he truly feels like the future is not set. Very interesting. You end it on sort of your team name. Nice. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. Interesting. Yeah. William <laughs> fucking Candy. The future is William Candy. <laughs> it's me! <laughs> so he, he sees that head and he turns it around. I'm Skynet. <laughs> it's the face of the future. It's me! <laughs> turns out I'm a machine. Who knew? Not Bill Candy. Only I did. <laughs> or did I? You never know with a candy man. We're, uh, we're not sure about the accent. We'll fix it. <laughs> Will you though? Maybe you mean Bill, you. Bill Candy. I'm back. He's played by Bill Paxton. Come with me if you want to live, but if you don't, that's fine as well. Bill Candy says do what you feel. I'll say you I feel like he's a used car <laughs> Bill Candy's used car emporium. Hop on to I-90, drive right down until the first exit, and you'll find Bill Candy is such a ride out. Where's that big sign? Yes. <laughs> it's me. <laughs> I'm terminating these prices. <laughs> You'll be back to get a load of our crazy deals. There's no personal finance plan except what you make for yourself. Because Bill Candy, he ain't certified. <laughs> I need I need your clothes, your boots, and your motorcycle. Your clothes and your boots are for me, but I'm selling the cycle. <laughs> <laughs> Back to the life and times of is it Chief Ma- Master Chief Chief, Chief Master William Sergeant Candy. William Candy? That's yeah. it, yeah. yeah. Not Master Chief, that's not a real thing. <laughs> no. <laughs> Ma- that's a oh my god. Frank. Halo is actually an awful so, thing. I think it's actually a real thing. I mean, we might say that. Might one. be. Probably He's definitely is. Chief Master Sergeant, not Master yeah. Chief Sergeant. Master yeah. Chef is a real thing. Ah. Yes. <laughs> Thanks, Alec. <laughs> You're welcome. Hosted by Bill Candy. <laughs> the lifetimes yeah. of and Master Lloyd Chef Grossman. William Candy. <laughs> so I have a quick question for you guys about your ending. And we, we, we said, like, yeah, T3's ending isn't that bad. Kind of redeems it's a, the film. It's a happy ending. Yours is bleak. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone is dead. It's not bleak. All, all the Connors are... It's kind of like... Yeah, they kind of win, I guess. But like, also, all the Connors die, and it's kind of like. I think it's your interpretation of death, sir. I think we think it's a genuinely optimistic ending, mm. and that, that it's it, that it, much the same way that you guys have a similar sort of thing, like peace at any cost. For we go the full John Connor as Jesus kind of thing. It's like I'm going to sacrifice myself and yes. ascend I, I, into I, AI heaven. I die, and then I come back, and then I ascend up into yeah. uh, into Mad AI. Max Fury Road. I, I did write the, the words other. "Robot Jesus" yes. <laughs> on the bottom of the page. Yeah, Ron, I mean Ron Perlman as Robot Jesus. What yep. more do you need? Yeah, it is. It is a bit of a, a head scratcher, though. That that's the thing, and I how audiences would have responded to it. 
we, the time. We talked about this, but we did. We, we, no, we've got it coming out in 2000. We are just after The Matrix has come out. Yeah. And, you know, we're sort of bringing in almost elements of that in mm. certain parts in the discussion of AI and, and, and stuff like that. Yeah. And we think that, you know, handled well enough and, and, and we would kind of layer in these discussions about kind of identity and AI throughout, um, you know, between John Connor and, and Rusty. Um, you know, I, I think it's I think it's not too big a leap for for people to take. I think yeah, mainstream audience expectations and 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 very much education through like the Matrix is a great example because it was a huge hit. Everyone saw it. Well, not everybody. But most well, people it was not in the a, cinema. Only a huge hit on DVD. Yeah. Ah, yeah, but the year two thousand was when it came out on DVD. So that's when we're talking about roughly it being arrived. So in the consciousness, people might still go, I don't have a clue what the hell that film was about, but I was, it was cool to watch. And we'd like to think this is the same sort of principle. I can understand it being a bit of a head scratch for certain people, but I think there's enough there for people to say, I don't really get it, but it's cool. It's cool. Did we win? Yeah, we won. We won. <laughs> America. <laughs> my, I think my my question is whether it would be obvious enough to, to people that they did win. To the schlubs, eh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. To, the, to the cheap seats, eh? To the um, real candy. Um, so Bill, Can- Bill Candy would get it. He, he, he just appears it. at the end and says, we won. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. We did it. Never anything bad happening now in 2000. No, I, th- I think I think you're right. I think they would, that like all films, people will be left behind. And I always say, fuck them. Cut the wire, let them fall on the mountainside. And, and part of it is also, it is an ambiguous ending because they're kind of... We don't know whether it is good or bad. It, it's yeah. they've unleashed this, you know, huge powerful force of like AI is here. We don't know whether it's good or bad. We know it's not malevolent at this point, mm. but it's uh, it's unleashing this huge powerful force, mm. and you know it kind of ends on an ellipsis almost of, of saying you know. One could even argue that technically speaking, there's nothing to say that this isn't all a Skynet trick. Technically, I mean, it's like John Connor's. Oh, you've got Ashen's Matrix Star, where it's like, I mean, not, fuck you, the robots always win, everything's a trick. Yeah, but there, there, there is Nihilism the Nihilism is real. <laughs> I think there's, it's, it's the, I mean, I mean there's the thing, I wouldn't say it's Inception, because there is a very simple answer to Inception. People made it much more complicated than it need to be, needed to be. And whenever you speak to like, no one else says, no, this is the ending, that's it, it's, it's, not, it's not complicated. But I think there could be so much room for fan fiction interpretation and open discussions and forums and things just when the internet's getting huge with this stuff as to what do you think the ending really means much like the the matrix and you know the ar sort of uh, augmented reality style things and going deeper into it and uh, yeah i think i think as much as it could confuse a lot of people this is also the same time as donnie darko started to come out mm. people were like don't get it it's great so i think <laughs> <laughs> it's it's the era of like weird dark cerebral yeah. sci-fi you've got like dark city and gattaca happening like yeah around that you know within like five years, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a couple years yeah and then this thing people i, th- I think uh, I, I think you're right like i think i think people won't completely get it more so than the other terminator films because terminator films do end very thing but at the same time trying to understand the, the as i said earlier trying to understand the time travel consequences and fatalism and all the things that go into terminator 2 even if you know what you're fucking talking about, is a is a complete head fuck. You can get so lost down that rabbit hole. Of- don't, don't they even have that line in in Terminator Two, where she's like, "You'd go mad trying to." Exactly. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> and um, you know, we talked a bit about how Terminator Two is quite a tonal shift from Terminator One. I don't think there's anything wrong with kind of taking another shifting bit of a, bit. you know yeah. shifting a gear and and having a, a slightly more cerebral you mm. know film that leaves people with with you know some questions yeah you also touched on turk 
the the, the T950, I think that was. That's correct, it? yes. Yep. Um, being a robot that is somewhat human and has like emotional kind of ties and things yeah, like that. Yeah, this came about when we were trying to do the TX thing of saying, how do you go further than a fucking liquid metal robot? And the answer is, yeah, fucking don't. That's the best model they're ever going to create, arguably. Yeah. yeah, the only kind of physical upgrade is we give him his his biological covering kind of heals quite fast. Yes, that's true. Um, so we kind of just mess up his arms mm. at one point and they, you know, uh, the skin grows back on them. But mm. but then he has this flaw in his eye that you know, just doesn't fix and he becomes yeah quite quite vain. And, yeah, and he has vanity as this yeah. kind of flaw. Yeah. So again, it's much like the idea of the liquid has a flaw to it. The 800 has a flaw to it as an idea. The 730, again, is quite flawed as a very simple uh, mechanical machine, as it were. And the 950 is obviously a step down from Robert Patrick's version it's the whole oh crap what have we got left in the bucket oh the fucking emo one Shit. <laughs> um, send it send it send it send it it's 2000 that we find it's just about to pick up um but um no i, th- I think that's that was what the, again it's, as you say a change of shifting and tone and all that sort of stuff it made sense to progress it to something different also i, n- I don't think anyone's going to see the rock and say i wonder if he's not a terminator at any point in this film <laughs> um he's not completely shredded as he is now but he's you know still a huge broad guy um but the key thing about the the, the rock specifically is that dwayne johnson's really fucking charming and to see that and have a gary sinise playing it so mechanically and so awkwardly and in what we understand now is the zuckerberg somewhat spectrum-esque performance of of high you know uh, uh tech minds as it were um it, it would play on audience expectations like oh i was just a, just a nice guy and then you realize he's this machine who thinks like us but hasn't really got around how to make that work in the same way that when uh robert patrick's walking through or t1000 walking through the um the factory at the end and he's got these little glitches and not really sure what he's doing i think it's most in the deleted scenes and the expanded editions where he's looking at his hands not really working and just being very confused by certain things and getting a bit slower there are flaws with all of them and we thought we'd just make his a very for lack of a better word human one did you go into the concept of how you would do that technologically or were you just like james cameron (laughs) (laughs) no i mean like in universe how they would implement emotions I mean, into it's, robots it's uh we've seen them grow more advanced over time you know we know that the the terminator that gets sent back in t the arnie model one has the learning capacity and it does pick up human behaviors over time we even see it in the t1000 to a certain extent you know it, it in the arcade talking to kids yeah it, it, it knows how to mimic certain human behaviors yeah, yeah and so the idea is that this this is just the model where they decided to really unleash that capability um and uh, yeah, and he's been back in time for long enough to to pick up and be very personable and very charming. And you know, he flirts and he tells jokes and he's gives okay, gives okay. advice to people. Um, uh, all of which you know, yeah, undercuts this sense that oh, I guess he's not a Terminator or he's you know he's something different. Um, and then yeah, it, so we see see it in T two. You know, we've got the Terminator, the Arnie one that's sent back has the learning capacity that they open up and the, even to an extent the T-1000, particularly when it's imitating John Connor's foster mum and talking to him over the phone, you know, it gets intonation right and all those kind of things. Right, so, yeah. Fools yeah. the husband completely. Yes. Um, and so it, we know it has that capacity and it's just expanding on it. And, you know, this this is the model where they truly open that up. Fair enough. Fair enough. Moving over to the sequel is not set. Over to you two gentlemen. Once again, we have one team where you actually kind of somewhat stuck to the original, but 
properly fixed it. And then we have another team who went completely batshit. What my main question is: What does TX stand for in your universe? If not Terminatrix. <laughs> Ten. <laughs> Terence Xavier, <laughs> played by Michelle. Terminator Ten. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds modern. The DJ from Public I quite, Enemy. I quite like that. Yeah. It's almost. Yeah, it's literally Terminator X. Terminator sure. X. I don't mind the name TX just because it kind of the idea that. Because this is something that also happens in uh, technology. It's that, that idea that we want to differentiate this. We get to a point where we've had so many numbers, so we just switch to numerals. It's that idea that... Consoles. Um, yeah. yeah numbers and, and they don't make any sense to put three letters the, in there. And the idea that it, it does kind of reflect that technological thing and that it's newer and it's sleeker and it's more advanced and it it's, you know... So I'm, yeah. now, I'm now disappointed it wasn't called the I-Terminator. <laughs> <laughs> The big advancement from it, really, as in T3, is the fact it can take over other machines. That is its real strength, because where do you go from a liquid Terminator? That's the thing. A gas yeah. Terminator, you know. That's quite interesting. <laughs> a future a fart. Back, you know. <laughs> I mean, and so that's going too far. So you think, well, what would it, surely it would be something more reductive, maybe. Would it send back just a bomb with wheels that gets near them and then explodes? Yeah, because you know? the other well, thing... that's no fun. The other thing is that you, you can't... You can't send back complex weapons inexplicably, even though you can send back a Terminator. So yeah, by, by of, very definition, a complex yeah, yeah, weapon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that kind of underwrote its own its own rules. So we thought, well, yeah, let's. This is the most interesting part of that, anyway. It's a Terminator, but its arm is a fuck off gun. It's something out of a nineties toy line. Yeah. <laughs> so let's. And that's why Alec loves it so much. Yeah. So this, you, we've all hit the nail on the head, but this is my biggest problem with Terminator in general. It is the argument of the Terminator itself, and, and it literally is: why don't you just send a fucking nuke covered in bacon? <laughs> yeah. a, pig, a pig with a bomb up its arm. Yeah, exactly. This did occur to me while we were doing this. Could we have something like they send back a dead pig and inside it is all the guns that they need? You know, does that um, actually fit? I think that in the Sarah Connor Chronicles, whatever the hell it's called, the TV series, it's like a gun carved into his leg, like Robocop kind of yes. thing. Just rips yeah. it out. It's like, yeah, that's a good idea. Do that. <laughs> Or stick it in a dead pig. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I don't think there's many dead pigs in the post-apocalyptic this is, yeah, this future. Is the problem. This is the Actually, no, but tons Sky of Net living pigs are a problem. Uh, was wipe out all bacon. Yeah. It really is the monster. Yeah. The first victim of the war was pigs. Mm. See, the problem is, if you've got no pigs, the only things we know are alive in the future are humans... Send back. It's not much room in one of those because yeah. they were not set up a bit gangly. And dogs. dogs. <laughs> mm. yeah. You're gonna, the audience yeah. is going to hate you. Audience ain't going to go no. for that. No. <laughs> no. no. Rats, Just I guess. Ripping open <laughs> Lassie to a, pull out a, a pile of dead dogs. <laughs> <laughs> How is that not your? <laughs> How is that not your team name? <laughs> Pile of dead dogs full of guts. That's, that's like the next Terminator. Wait, just Skynet sends back millions of dead dogs <laughs> just oh above God. the city. The rain of dogs. a rain of them. It's and raining. No, disease not kills just everyone dogs. off. Yes. Terminator Three, dog day afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, so my real question is, why no dogs? <laughs> <laughs> Lack of dead dogs. Oh my god. Sent back a single Terminator and a dead dog. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why they sent back <laughs> Give me your clothes, your boots, and a can opener. <laughs> <laughs> to kill the dog? <laughs> to open the dog up? Oh my god. <laughs> 
Excuse me, where do I get the dog opener? <laughs> I'm okay, Mom. How's Wolfie's full hey. of fucking guns? <laughs> hey, hey, just what you see, pal. <laughs> Dash and nine millimeter. <laughs> Oh. What is this <laughs> What is this podcast? Oh, God. I thought it was interesting you guys kept the off-screen killing of Sarah Connor. Um, since that was a criticism that we kind mm. of mentioned in the opening scene. It is quite well publicised that she refused to do another. Yeah. Yeah, but you're gods in this universe, essentially. I think mm. it's also... I think we addressed it better than T3. I, I agree. Oh, I don't don't disagree with that, yes. Yeah. And I think you need to clear the way because you need for John Connor to get his space as a character I think a bit more and we wanted to because we talked about whether we wanted a third character in it as well in in the way that there is in in T3 and we we felt that having Catherine Brewster there is to John Connor's detriment because we don't really find out a lot about John Connor in that movie I would argue yeah John Connor mm. isn't really a character outside of the second film he's shite well no, no he's acceptable in terminator 3 but you're right he plays second fiddle to another person is leading me around yeah. i'm not really the leader i'm supposed to be and in the fourth film john connor's awful and in the fifth film we don't talk about the fifth film but he's so, a terminator so i think we thought well let's just you know if we get to, if sarah connor's not in it we get to to focus on that, I think the idea that her death actually has some resonance on him mm. as a character mm. and informs the way that he's doing things because there's this idea because really it's her mission, um, and he's carrying on with her. She's the one who instills him with all of this sense of purpose and mm. this idea that he's just carrying on with her mission, and but is beginning to question that and doesn't have anybody to talk to about this and about how he's feeling about this. I thought. You know, so that's, that's makes sense why the end negotiating with what is his best friend in theory, yeah. at T eight hundred or the, the image of. Yeah, I mean the first film is a very pared back narrative <laughs> with very few characters, so it's nice to go back a bit to that, but you can't completely reduce it back in a sequel. It still needs to be a bit big. I think also because we were doing the future thing, it was that idea of we don't want to. We're not going to have a lot to do with Sarah Connor if she's here, and we've kind of told her story in the first and second films. So it was that idea that, yeah. So she, yeah, she does die off screen, and I would like to see Linda Hamilton in uh, another Terminator, which in fact is happening because they are actually sequelizing Terminator Three, aren't I'm they? Still again, in, if yeah. I see it, I'll, when it when it goes through, when it yeah. goes through, we'll see what happens. Mm. Could get another Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Then fucking no, yeah. we, we won't. won't. <laughs> <laughs> Brace yourself for Genesis. And I guess given sort of the political climate in 2003, particularly in America at that time, the kind of, I don't know, like, not sort of non-victory, but the kind of peaceful resolution doesn't feel very... Yeah, I don't know how it would sit well with American audiences. And I know Stuart's reaction is going to be, fuck them, these audiences don't exist, this film doesn't exist. Shut up, Jack, stop bringing up audiences. But I just read your mind there, Stuart, I assume. Well yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's a slow nod there folks they kind of went with the apocalypse in the original mm. t3 and the the original t3 ends on a on a hell of a downer which mm. is you know at least at least yeah. we got a draw they straight mm. up that's lost just, yeah, yeah, true. that is true that's true that's yeah. true hey do we really want to feed into the uh we must win at all costs and there is no um being friends with anyone narratives sometimes you got to compromise and a good compromise leaves everyone angry. 
I think the thing is we both went down that route. Where, whereas Terminator is very skeptical about machines and technology, Terminator Two then turns it on its head and is like, "Well, hey, this this robot is is kind of developing these human." characteristics and what does that mean he's, he's like terminator is the perfect dad how does that work um you know it perfect dad and yeah. judgment day. it is technophobia becoming techno joy effectively technically embracing the progression yeah. of technology rather than i oh, don't trust machines yeah and i think we both went with a progression of that because terminator 3 basically goes machines are a bit shit again aren't they really yeah. <laughs> kind of reverses that and yeah. it's like it does, it does yeah. have that nice interesting final statement saying it was us, dorm rooms, and all that stuff, and coding and computers. It's like, oh, well, now I feel culpable. Thanks, Dick. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah it's, 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 it's an odd move, but yeah. Fair enough. Fair mm. enough. So I suppose for the first time in season three, it's time for me to render my verdict. And I'm going to have to go for the Bill Candy Collective. Congratulations, gentlemen. Thank you. Uh, no, I, again, I because I, I, as someone who genuinely doesn't, Mine T3. I like the fix you've done. Yeah, I, I do too. I particularly enjoyed your casting choices. I thought Ron Perlman is an inspired choice for another kind of rusty old bucket kick-ass Terminator. When we when we went into this making our first kind of notes, it was I, I one of my first jotting down uh, ideas was it was important that we give Bill Paxton the death he deserves oh, yes. <laughs> because. Uh, he kind of goes out like a punk in the first film, and and very he literally ambig- is a punk. Well, he he is a, he is a punk, uh, but it's also very ambiguous. He just gets shoved, yeah. uh, but he is the only person to have got killed by a Terminator, a Predator, and an alien. Uh, so we wanted to make sure that his Terminator <laughs> death was yeah. both obvious and spectacular. I liked the kind of emotional introductions with the kind of vanity side of things. I think that's an interesting flaw for a machine mm. to have, and I liked that you went for vanity rather than. Like the cliche thing would be like he would look at a dog and be like, "Oh, maybe life isn't so bad I after feel all." Love, yeah, exactly. That could, yeah, <laughs> he, he, has he sex would see us. A... <laughs> <laughs> There's a gun in there. <laughs> I love this dog so much. It is a shame it is full of weapons. <laughs> Bye, dog. They discover that Skynet originated from STD. <laughs> <laughs> We were so worried about the viruses that computers were giving us. We never thought about the viruses that we were giving computers. And by we, you specifically mean that Bill, Bill Candy, Candy was giving computers. Bill Candy is the, yeah, he's the, the new motherboard. <laughs> Ain't nothing floppy about Bill Candy's drive. You hear me? Hard drive. In. USB. <laughs> USB 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 <laughs> oh. United States of Bill Candy yes. <laughs> Thanks for the show, We'll see you next week I'm sorry Jack You're United saying something States of Bill <laughs> This is the floor. most like off the rails show we've ever done I think Yeah Okay I'm ready Jack so congratulations, Matt and Tim. Ta. But Thank before you. we depart and share social media and all that good stuff, what was your original batshit insane idea that we heard rumblings of earlier on in the episode? So Alec and Stuart. Basically, that whole flashback scene at the end where we see all the Terminators. The Wolverine Origins. Yeah. Um, that came about because originally our Terminator 3 was set during the Korean War. Oh. And John Connor's grandfather 
this and his platoon have to fight off against a group of Terminators and there's a crazy man they find in their trench who it turns out was sent back in time to protect him but has gone nuts in the process and has to act as their kind of weird guardian. But there's lots of Terminators and their sergeant doesn't believe it's a thing until everybody gets killed and then it's a platoon of guys left in the fast fighting Terminators. Mm. Jesus Christ. (laughs) (laughs) And how... What was the thought process when you said no? I think that's when Stuart chipped in. <laughs> uh, I was Alec, fully behind no. this. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's an interesting premise. I'm not going to lie. It's, it's, it's a curious because, again, it, much like the alien aliens change the genre. Our conclusion was that this doesn't feel like a sequel, it feels like a spin off. That's this doesn't fair feel yeah, like point. it. Yeah, it yeah. wouldn't tell a big the enough story. Yeah, yeah, it wouldn't really tell a big enough story to feel like it was part sure, of sure. a. This felt like it would be a great comic book or a novel. Expanded or, universe yeah, stuff. Yeah, 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 definitely. Something like that. But mm. for a whole film, we just didn't know if it could carry it, really. Yeah, fair play. Unless you did like a weird Cloverfield thing where you don't know it's a Terminator movie until like halfway until through it. Yeah, that would be. I, I like that idea. Yeah, but, that's a cool yeah. yeah, but I, but I just, I don't know. I don't yeah. think you yeah, can do that. It doesn't work too like, well here when we have to yeah. give you the title up front yeah. and say, yeah. we're sequelizing Terminator 3. Yeah, but sequel is called Cloverfield. What? <laughs> it will make sense later. Don't worry. Fine. Yeah. And since the life and times of Chief Master Sergeant William yeah. Candy. Since you guys won, mm. I'll let you guys announce our, a brand new feature for oh. this season. Yes. So starting this season, the winning team each week is going to put together a Spotify playlist, which will be available to anyone who wants to listen to it, kind of giving you a, an idea of what the the score or the soundscape of the film might sound like. Um, so obviously in our case, we've got David Arnold doing mm. the, the music and we've kind of pulled from a variety of his films uh, to give you an idea of, of what it sounds like. We'll stick a link to that in the episode description and it'll be all all, all over the sequelizers social media channels. Mm. So yeah, feel free to give that a listen. And uh, as the season goes on, we'll have uh, some more exciting uh, options for you to, to listen to while you work or play or drive or, you know. Do whatever you do. That's a little extra. So you think, oh, I really enjoyed that episode. And think, well, here's a little bit more you can have. Exactly. And if they're not familiar with the composers you guys pick. It's always good to have like, a, yeah. Yeah. I don't know David Arnold's greatest hits or whatever. Like, yeah. Mm. It'd be interesting. We will show you. Exactly. Speaking of showing you, in the next episode, we will be sequelizing Highlander 2. Speaking of films I hate, <laughs> yeah, this I hate this more than T3. One. Yes. Because Highlander 2 is a, such a huge requested one because it's such a fucking monumental failure as a sequel. It's, yeah. But half of the room here, not a fan. Mm. Of the original. Of the original, yeah. Interesting. Mm. Happy Halloween, ladies. <laughs> <laughs> That's where we're ending. <laughs> <laughs>